Welcome to Disrupting Leadership, where we redefine leadership for a post-pandemic era. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Myers, founder of Evolve the Leadership Evolution, where we help leaders accomplish all of their goals without negatively impacting their quality of life. I'm an Air Force veteran, mother of three young, beautiful children, and I have a PhD in organizational development and leadership. Welcome to all my evolutionary leaders. So today we're going to be talking about understanding team dynamics. We've been working with a lot of hospital systems recently, and this has become a big issue, mostly because of all of the agency support staff that individuals and units have within the hospital system. So particularly particularly with nurses, excuse me, we're seeing this even more frequently where we're needing to have these agency staff in here which is wonderful to have them support. But when we're trying to build a culture and trying to build team dynamics that are successful, this can be extremely difficult to navigate. So we're going to kind of run through some models and theories of team dynamics today that hopefully will really help us understand the impact that these agency individuals have on the culture, on the units, and in addition, why they should be taken into consideration when we're building a culture or rebuilding a culture. So let's go ahead and dive right in. We're going to start by defining a team. I like to say we're breaking it down Barney style. Then we're going to understand and apply the four stages of team development. And then finally, we will discuss the seven characteristics of team dynamics that lead to a happy team. So let's go ahead and begin with Kotzenbach and Smith's definition of a real team. So when we break down the definition of a team Barney style, I like to use Katzenbach and Smith's definition, and we'll get into a little bit why of that as we go through the definition. But what it does is it really breaks it down into the minute components. So when we're talking about a real team rather than a group, and we're differentiating because those are not synonymous terms, a real team is a small number of people three to 12 individuals. There are some definitions out there that might say it's two, but two for me is a pair. It's a couple. It's a little bit different. Once we start to get into team dynamics, I really truly believe that Kotzenbach and Smith's definition of three to 12 is the ideal number here. If you remember back to childhood where you kind of felt like the odd person out when you had two really good friends and there were three of you total and, you know, two were playing at any given time. One person was always left out and you'd kind of rotate through. That's team dynamics, which is why I don't believe that two should fall into this definition. So that's why three is a really critical number here. That's when we start to have those people that kind of feel left out where we have to draw in this different type of social engagement, so to speak. So in addition to the small number of people, so we have this group of people, three to 12 individuals, and they are a group at this point in time. They're not a real team yet. We need to make sure that they have complementary skills as well. So if you have a bunch of people that have the exact same skills, it's going to be really hard to develop a high-performing team. There needs to be complementary skills. So that could be a combination of technical, interpersonal, problem-solving, any of the above you get the idea where everybody should just be balancing each other out. And so we use personality assessments a lot to help with 
team dynamics because it really gives a good idea of where gaps may be in these complementary skills, where some overlaps may be, where individuals are going to strengthen some areas of opportunity for the team, or if someone has an area of opportunity and they need to be on a project or a program team with an individual, then we'll look at those personality assessments to really make sure that we're balancing out those strengths and those areas of opportunity so everything is really complementary. So these individuals, three to 12 people, complementary skills, they also, and this is where we start to get into really changing from that group to a team, they have a clear and meaningful purpose. So something has been defined, this defined goal, this defined purpose that they're all going toward together. In addition, from that purpose, they've come up with common goals. So each individual could have their own goals as well, but there are common goals and there's an agreed upon working approach to reach those goals. And finally, they begin to hold themselves mutually accountable. So three to 12 people, complementary skills, a clear and meaningful purpose, common goals, and an agreed upon working approach and they hold themselves mutually accountable for those goals, for that approach to reach that purpose. That's when we really transition from that group to that team. So I'd like us to pause here for a moment and kind of reflect a little bit about our own teams at work or our own teams in our volunteer capacity, our own teams at home, because we all have groups and teams in all areas of our life that we revolve around. So think about, are those true teams or are they really more groups? So now I also want to challenge us to go ahead and think think about what we like and what we dislike about working in teams. So for me, I really like the social interaction. I like the engagement. I love the feeling of having that shared mutual purpose. What I don't like is I don't like the drama that a lot of times comes with it. I don't like the conflict that's always going to arise. You know, you can really brainstorm and list as many of those as possible. And for each individual team, it's or group, it's important to really go ahead and brainstorm some of these things about what we like and dislike about working with teams. Because then we can use that information to really come up with that clear purpose, those common goals, where we're going to balance each other out, what we like, what we dislike. And in addition to that, I encourage, as we think about what we like and what we dislike about working in teams, I encourage us all to identify whether what we like and what we dislike are considered tasks or social aspects of being in that work environment and working with the team. So for many individuals, it's the social aspects that bring about the joy in working in teams. But for others, it may be the tasks they like having the common purpose and checking off the tasks together, more so about the completion of the individual checklist items rather than the social components. And it's important for us to identify that in our team members or group members as well. So just a little reflection there as we move forward. So what can be done to make teams more effective or enjoyable? Well, it's really important for us to understand the actual dynamic and cyclical process of a team before we can dive into how can we make things more enjoyable 
with a team. I love using Tuckman's five-step model for this. And so there's actually a really good video. If you go to YouTube, you can watch it. It's a, if you remember the movie, Remember the Titans, it's got clips from Remember the Titans all about the stages of group development and using Tuckman's five-step model. So just go ahead and Google stages of group development. Remember the Titans. That video will come right up. I highly encourage you. In fact, we can put the link to that YouTube video in the show notes. So check out the show notes. We'll have a link to that YouTube video there. It's a great representation of this should you be a little bit more of a visually oriented person. So Tuckman's five-step model, you may or may not have heard about it before. I first learned about it when I was in officer training school for the Air Force. It's something that the military really harps on because it it is that critical and that important to understanding how to transition from a group to a team. So the five steps of Tuckman's five-step model are forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. And I always feel like I need to say adjourning just to make it rhyme. But <laughs> forming, storming, norming, performing, adjourning. <laughs> so forming is the first step. This is where the group starts to come together. So we have three to 12 individuals. They've started to come together. And we're starting to kind of begin to identify the group roles, our common purpose. We're really kind of going through that step-by-step process of the definition of a real team. The second step is storming. So it's important to recognize that with groups and teams, conflict is inevitable. It is going to happen regardless. What I like to discuss when we talk about the norming stage of Tuckman's five-step model is that... It can happen internally or externally, but storming always happens. Conflict always happens. And so many of you may be thinking, oh, well, I've got a wonderful team. We never went through the storming phase where we had any sort of conflict. Eh, nope, that's wrong. There was conflict somewhere. It may have been internal. It may not have been a knockdown, drag out, you know, screaming match in the middle of the of cubicle city, but something happened where someone was upset, someone felt hurt, they may just have kept it internal. And so storming can happen either way, internal, external, or a combination of the two, but conflict is always going to happen. The important thing here is that we recognize the conflict and we learn how to lead through it because conflict can actually be managed to create positive motivation in teams. Maybe we'll do an entire podcast episode on that at some point in time. But it can be managed properly to be able to create positive motivation and momentum through teams. So as a team member or as a group member wanting to transition into positive team dynamics, it's really important to communicate when we have those moments of conflict, when we're feeling uncomfortable with our team members. If we do it internally, it's going to take a little bit longer to get through the storming phase. Once we're through the storming phase, we get into step number three or stage three or phase three. Any of those terms are interchangeable at this point in time, but we get into norming. Norming is where, okay, we've shuffled everything a little bit now. Conflicts happen. We understand each other a little bit better. We understand communication obstacles. Maybe we understand obstacles when it comes to execution. We've learned where each other's strengths are. We're beginning to really identify where we can lift each other up to be more successful. And so that norming stage can take quite a while. And many teams, in fact, will never go beyond the norming stage where we can get really great results is in performing. 
So this is step four of the five-step model, performing. This is where we're at the highest performance level possible. We've all figured out exactly how to balance each other properly. We are meeting that common goal and purpose. We're really hitting our stride. And I'm sure we've all felt this before in a team. Where, and this is where we finally really begin to become a team, right? We're starting to get there during norming, but now we're officially a team and performing. We've hit our stride. There's positive momentum, positive motivation. We love working together. That's performing. Unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. And then we hit step five, which is adjourning. So any time that we have a new purpose, we have a new project, a change in our roles, a change in our leadership happens, we lose someone, we add someone, any of those changes will cause a team to adjourn. So let me repeat that again to make sure that we understand the importance and the impact of this. Anytime someone leaves, anytime someone new is added, anytime we have major role shifts, anytime we have a new project or a new program, a team adjourns and we have to start all over again. This is a cyclical process. So now you'll notice that we haven't talked about timing on any of these. There's no set time that you have to go through these five steps, but there usually is a general pattern. So the first time a team forms, that forming stage and that storming stage tend to be a little bit longer. However, if we have small changes, maybe just in roles or projects, some minor shift that happens, we adjourn. But then we go through all of the steps again, but we can go through it a lot faster. So it may not be as evident that we're going through these steps, but we are going through the steps. So we'll hit our stride faster. We'll get to that performing stage faster. Now, if there's major leadership or positional changes, it's going to slow that process down again. So it's really important here. And this goes back to the whole agency nurses conversation that we had at the very beginning. Every time a new agency nurse comes in, every time an agency nurse leaves, the entire team goes through this process again and again and again. So agency nurses are leaving so frequently or new ones are coming in so frequently that these nursing teams are not having the opportunity to hit their stride and get to performing. The roles are not being clearly defined. We're not really being able to have enough time to understand each other. So we're never hitting the definition of a team. We're staying in groups and we're staying in the storming maybe barely touching the norming, but for the majority of the work that we're doing, we're seeing everybody just going forming, storming, maybe a touch of norming, back to adjourning, forming, storming, norming, adjourning, forming, storming, maybe a touch of norming. You get the idea. So these nursing teams are never able to operate at high levels of efficiency purely because of this constant turnover and this constant rate of change. And so that's where a lot of struggles are happening in hospital systems right now. So that's why I think it's extremely important for us to understand these models and theories of team dynamics. So I'd like us to think back to our team at work or teams at school or, you know, even sports teams that we may have been on. When were we groups 
and when were we teams, and why? So now that we've paused and reflected on that a little bit, it'll be easier for us as we move forward to begin to identify when we become a team, when we stay a group, and why. All right, let's get into the five characteristics of a cohesive team now. So now we have defined a team. We've gone into Tuckman's five-step model of how we can go from a group to a team and what that process looks like. Then when we're a team, we have these five characteristics of really being at that high level of efficiency. This is what really moves us from that norming to that performing stage in Tuckman's five-step model. So you can kind of think of this almost as a pyramid. So visualize this with me. If you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we've got the foundational pieces and we build upon that. And you have to have those foundational pieces completed before we can move up the pyramid. It's the same type of concept here with these five components. So for team success factors and these five factors for really being this cohesive performing team, it starts with the foundation of trust. So we have to have this foundation of trust. We have to be constantly working on building trust. And this happens during the forming. It happens during the storming. It happens a little bit during the norming where we're really getting to know each other. We're building those relationships. We're beginning to trust each other. We understand where, you know, I hate to use the word weaknesses. You'll notice that I haven't used it a lot here, but where our weaknesses really lie, where we can lift each other up, where we can balance each other, where we have those complementary skills. And that helps to build the trust. In the absence of trust, we will never have a team. I'm going to repeat that again. In the absence of trust, we will never truly have a team. It will always be a group and we will never be at the high level of productivity and impact that we can be. And this could be one single individual that does not have the trust, that breaks the trust foundation for the entire group. So once we have trust, then we get into conflicts. And so this goes along with the storming you can see how this kind of overlays over Tuckman's five-step model. And a lot of times what happens as we're going from a group to a team is that we have a fear of conflict. And this fear of conflict means we're always going to make compromises or, you know, feel like we have to give up something in order to make other people happy. And we will never get to the next level of these five components of a cohesive team if we're not able to successfully master conflict and learn how to lead and manage the conflict in order to use it as a positive stressor as motivation. So trust, the successful management of conflict, and then the third tier of this pyramid is commitment. And so if you'll remember back to Kotzenbach and Smith's definition of a team, there has to be that shared purpose, that common purpose, that shared commitment. A lack of commitment means that we will not have a successful team. So everybody has to be committed to the same purpose. There have to be shared and common goals. We can have individual goals as well, but there has to be that common purpose and shared goals. 
Once we have that commitment, so we have trust, the foundation of trust, we have the successful management of conflict, we've moved through that storming phase, we have commitment, we're now in that norming stage. Then we get into accountability. So again, Kotzenbach and Smith's definition, we have accountability, this mutual accountability and understanding that we're going to hold each other accountable. If we have avoidance of accountability, what that can lead to is us shifting on the spectrum of harm, creating a culture where there's a total lack of accountability. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say spectrum of harm, that's something else maybe I can put down as a potential podcast episode. The spectrum of harm is so incredibly important. If we do not hold each other accountable at the very beginning, then what happens is the culture becomes lax and people get used to the status quo of not being held accountable and they get more and more and more and more lax and it creates a more and more harmful environment and culture. So in avoidance of accountability, we completely lack a team. When we embrace accountability and we hold each other accountable for results, it's a positive motivational factor. And we begin to move into that performing stage of Tuckman's five-step model. Then at the very top of the pyramid are results. So when we have inattention to results, when we're just kind of going with the flow, when no one's really being the finisher and making sure that we're checking things off and we're completing things, then we cannot have a team. But when we focus on the results and we're all trusting each other, managing conflict, have that shared commitment, are holding each other accountable, and we're focusing on results, then we are a successful team, a true high-performing team that's cohesive, that's productive, that is driving the bottom line of the organization and helping with that return on investment. All right. So we've gone over the definition of a team. We've gone over Tuckman's five-step model for team dynamics. We've gone over the five characteristics of a cohesive team. That's, those are the keys. Those are the three building blocks for successful team dynamics. And so when we understand team dynamics, those are the models and theories we should be constantly leaning on and going back to. If something falls apart on a team, go back. What is it about Kotzenbach's definition that we're missing? Are we stuck in a particular stage of Tuckman's five-step model? Are we lacking some foundational component of the pyramid for the five components or characteristics of a cohesive team. Go back to those consistently. And when we're hitting on those, when we're building, we're going to be going through the norming phase into that high performing phase. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for your time today. I loved talking about team dynamics. It's one of our most requested workshops. We'd be happy to give this workshop with a lot more interaction as well when we're live, whether virtual or in person. We can definitely get those interactive activities. We even have a zombie apocalypse that we usually do with this workshop. So 
If you're interested in having us come out and do this workshop for your team, if you think it would be beneficial, definitely reach out to us. You can also download our app at the link in the show notes where we provide free resources and provide a community of other evolutionary leaders. And if you know of a healthcare leader or an organization that would make a good guest on our podcast, please reach out to us in the app or email us at hello at evolve.vision. That's H-E-L-L-O at E-V-O-L-V-E dot V-I-S-I-O-N. And we want to hear from you. We love feedback and want to know how we can continue to provide value. So make sure to connect with us. Find us on the app, connect with us on social media. We're on LinkedIn all the time, which is where we list a lot of our free workshops in addition to our app. So reach out at any time. And thank you so much for being an evolutionary leader. Evolve.